0: So we are talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So let's begin with this quote from G.K. Chesterton that I've said to you all many times, and uh, it's tricky to understand, so you got to soak in it. Chesterton once said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it's been found difficult and left untried. Not so much been tried and found wanting like it needs something, as much as it's been found really hard to do, and nobody wants to try it. Chesterton, uh, it's about 1920 when he's writing this sort of thing, and uh, he's an aphorist, and I had to look that up, but an aphorist is somebody who says really pointed, jabby things, uh, and in a really sharp, witty way, and you kind of start laughing, and then you kind of stop, (laughs) because you know it's about you, and that's what he's doing here. So Chesterton's this jokester, and we don't know if he's really serious here or not, but when it comes to living the Christian life, I believe we can all agree, if you really go after the Christian life, it's difficult. And, and if we're, we're honest, we can really just probably say, I'm not really sure I put a full-court press effort into the Christian life. Have I really ever done it hardcore, right? Well, you know, the times we're living in right now, I'm calling them the reaping time in that we've been reaping what we've sown uh, whether it be um, the racial strife or other things like that. And uh, it's reaping time. And and during this time, if we find ourselves uptight, impatient, uh, if we are cranked up because we don't like some politician or wearing a mask or the strife thing, race strife going on, Or the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And where are the jobs and all of this sort of thing. And if you're all wound up and cranky, then here's what I got to say to you this morning. It's your fault. It's your fault that you are all upset. Nobody else can make you upset. If you're upset, you did it to yourself. Stop blaming somebody else. You are in charge of your own feelings and emotions. Nobody makes you angry. We like to say that, but it's not true. We choose to be angry in response to something. That's all us. If it were not true, then if you were angry, all I have to say is, then be happy if it's my fault. And you should instantly be happy. Right? I don't want to be happy. Well, then it's not my fault. So there. That's the way that works. No one's in control of your attitude, just you. You reap what you sow. So, a follower of Jesus Christ is just that. A follower of Jesus Christ is a follower of Jesus Christ. You follow Jesus. And uh, let's think about it. Jesus spoke out against religious fundamentalists, the Pharisees of his day. But he wasn't all cranky about the government, at least as far as we know. The, The furthest he ever got in talking against the Roman Empire, which were oppressing them like crazy... Is that the only thing he ever said about him is he said, hey, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry their luggage a mile, then do it two miles. Wow. Okay. So think about Jesus. Was he cranky? I mean, he stood up for those living on the margins. The people who had it hard. He asked everyone and taught everyone to love their neighbors themselves. And then went on to tell everybody the, the, the great parable of the good Samaritan. And then finally, Jesus goes to the cross for you and me. And his death wasn't to prove some point or make some political statement like Socrates drinking hemlock, you know. And it wasn't that Jesus thought of himself as a martyr. You know, he didn't go to the cross angry or bitter or resentful. Even while he's on the cross, he prays for his executioner's Who are a bunch of hardcore Roman soldiers. He prays father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they knew exactly what they were doing. They'd done it day in and day out. Killing people. All they were doing was following orders. Snuffing out another nobody. Rabbi from nowhere Nazareth. Who just might rise to power. According to Pontius Pilate. And so let's just nip this one in the bud. Nail him up. Now how then. If that's our example. Of Jesus. How then shall we live? Who should we be? Do we have a right to be all snippy and angry. And complaining. If we're supposed to be following Jesus. The one who went to the cross. Who said father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a pretty high bar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's a pretty high thing to strive for. So just to be really really clear. We turn back to Paul. Writing some. 20, 30 years after Jesus, and Paul clearly understood what it looks like to follow Jesus. So here's how Paul describes the fruit what's supposed to grow as a result of being in the Spirit. So here we are back in Galatians chapter five, verse nineteen. Here's what the fruit of the, uh, he starts with a, a contrast: fruit of the flesh versus fruit of the Spirit. So fruit of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are obvious: fornication, impurity, licentiousness. Then idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, uh, um, we get our root word out of the Greek on that, uh, pharmacia, so you can hear the word pharmacy in there, so I don't want to read back onto what pharmacy, on what sorcery means, but nonetheless, oftentimes sorcery involves some sort of getting somebody stoned, and then it worked. Uh, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, wait, that's starting to sound like the newspaper. Uh, dissensions, factions, that's really like the paper. Envy, drunkenness, carousing, that sounds like Luke of the Ozarks, Uh, and things like these. I'm warning you as I warned you before, Paul says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's not as much of a judgment from Paul, I think, as much as it's just the situation. You don't belong in the kingdom of God. In other words, that's not your country. That's not where you're from. You, You don't belong there. It's not like, no, 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 you don't get to go. It's not a don't get to. It's that you don't want to. Why would you want to be in the kingdom of God when you're like that? That's not fun. Now, by contrast, verse 22, Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, then patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, the flesh with its passion and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let's also be guided by the Spirit. So let's not become conceited, competing with one another, envying one another. I mean, you know, there are nine things there, right? The fruit of the Spirit. The first three are easy. They sound like they came right off some sort of greeting card. Love, joy, peace. Everybody love. Lots of joy, peace. You know, those, like, yeah, I'm down with those. That's good. I totally believe in that stuff. I, I work on it. And like, that's good. You know why? Because we don't know what they look like. But, you know, when after that, it starts getting kind of difficult. Patience. Oh, yeah. I know what patience looks like. Kindness. That's the toothpaste, toothpaste, toothpaste thing. That generosity. Don't even talk about that one. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Now we're like off the page. That stuff's hard. Self-control. I'm just talking about the grocery store checkout aisle. And patience when you're trying to have some control and not get upset because somebody's moving too slow. And there's only three people in line. Right? There's no law against this stuff. It's not hard. Well, I guess it is hard. I'd like to pick on number four, patience. Because that's where it all starts getting rough in these, right? Patience is a virtue, as the saying goes, but I don't know about you, every time I hear patience is a virtue, it sounds like a nearly impossible, lofty, unobtainable, unattainable pinnacle of a well-ordered life. To be a completely patient person, you're like some kind of saint, right? Patience is difficult, yes? So I like to pick on patience because it's so easily, uh, it's easy to see how easy it slips through our fingers. So um, Associated Press years ago did a, a poll on patience, you know? And they asked people on this poll on waiting on hold on the telephone. Waiting on hold. Like, how long can you wait? How many minutes can you wait on hold on the telephone? They did a survey. So here you go, right? 52% of the people said they can wait five minutes or less. 52%. About half of us can wait five minutes or less. That means there's about 48% of us that don't. So... Then, let's take the minutes a few, six to ten minutes. How long can you wait? How many of us can wait six to ten minutes on hold? 22%. So, just under a quarter of us are really awesome at waiting on hold. 11 to 15 minutes on hold. How many people can do that? 9%. That's about one out of ten. And then, 20 minutes long on hold hold, can you suffer? 5% of us can do that. 30 minutes, 4%. More than 30 minutes, 3%. And then after that, it just says, I'm not sure. You know why? Because they didn't make it through the first five minutes. All this survey shows is that after about 50 minutes, everybody's lying about how long they can be on hold. Did you guys ever do this thing? You know, you've, I was on a call here a couple of years ago, right, trying to get through, and it just kept clicking off. I can't even remember if I was trying to get hold of insurance or whatever. And so it would say, like, there's too many people in the queue, just call back later. Like, yeah, okay, and, and then just slam me off, right? Can't leave a message or nothing. So I thought, okay, I finally got through, and I thought, I'm going to let it just ride. I'm going to let this, I'm putting it on speakerphone, and I'm going on with my work. You guys ever do this thing? It went on just over an hour, and then the call just died, I was like, where's the justice in that for me? I didn't get to talk to somebody and say, I've been on the phone an hour. You know, like I'm some sort of martyr. It just ended on me like, oh, I was so wrong. Yeah, patience. It's tough. Now, if patience is difficult for some of us, imagine mastering the other eight of the fruit of the spirit, the love, joy, peace, self-control, etc., etc. et cetera. Et cetera. I contend that if we desire the fruit of the Spirit, then we have to begin with obtaining the the Spirit rather than the fruit. See, the fault here, the, the problem is, is that we focus on the fruit. Like, I'm going to will myself to become patient. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to become a more patient person. What's your plan for that? Just pure tenacity, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm just going to will it. I'm going to go into willfulness. I'm going to use some mindfulness or something here, and I'm going to become patient, right? Well, I contend it doesn't work that way. I contend, and I present the idea that you, you seek the Spirit rather than patience, because this is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of willpower, Okay, so you have to pursue the spirit. If we, if, if, so that's, why, that's where the two trees comes in. So here I have two, two, uh, two pictures of trees. So this one over here appears to be sort of cobbled together. It looks like some two-by-fours made to kind of look like a tree. There's a couple of crates of fruit there. It looks like apples maybe. And someone's like stapled or tacked or nailed on some apples onto a fake apple tree. This is what we all try to do in our spirituality. We say, I'm just going to become more patient. So we get out our hammer and we tack up some fruit. I've got fruit of the spirit now because I just nailed it on there. Right? It it grew on the tree. Yeah. So I'm becoming more patient. So we attempt to tack it on. Right? It's not the fruit of the spirit. Rather, this is just good old fashioned moralism. This is just willpower. This is just what I call bootstrap religion, man. Just become that. If you want to do this, then, you know, all you got to do is read Socrates or Confucius. There are plenty of ancient teachers and even modern teachers are saying, like, you go out there and go get them. You become a more patient person. I've told you what to do. Just go do it. Okay. Good luck with that. The second tree, however, is supposed to look like a real tree, like one that grew out of the ground. The fruit on this tree took a long time to grow, and it just, it grew on its own. Nobody had to staple anything on or anything like that. It just, it's natural. It's the fruit of the earth, right? Not some sort of cobbled together deal. No shortcuts here. The natural tree then, what? It relies upon the soil. So it's actually all about the soil, not about the tree, not even about the fruit. So the soil then is the spirit, if you abide in the Spirit, if you pursue the Spirit, then naturally the fruit comes. This is the way the Christian life works. This is the part where Chesterton's saying, like, it's been left wanting and untried. Because seeking the Spirit is not something that we naturally want to do. But if you place yourself in the right soil over the right amount of time, you produce the fruit of the Spirit. This is called, in our most simple, basic Christian term, prayer. Prayer. This is not the type of prayer uh, of petition or intercession. Where, God, I need uh, patience, and I need a uh, job, and I need, this, um, I need this health problem to be taken care of. Totally legit types of prayer. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that just goes like this. God question mark. God. That's it. That's the whole prayer. The prayer that just says, God. And then it waits and it rests. And it just simply opens up the time and the space for the spirit to begin to speak. Now, on that journey, all the monkeys in the banana tree are going to start jumping all over the place. But eventually, the monkeys run off into the woods. These are all in your head, by the way. You get alone, you get quiet, you get crazy. But if you stay there, the craziness goes away and you settle down. If you're willing to simply put yourself in the right place at the right time when you don't have all the distractions in life. You want to be a better parent? You want those, you know, words not to come out of the toothpaste, right? You want to be a better husband, a better wife? You want to be more creative? You want to be less freaked out? You want to sleep better? Then you spend time in prayer. Not just the, hey God, I need something real fast prayer. Not that kind of prayer, which is okay. But I'm talking about another kind of prayer, a relationship-building prayer. And in the Christian life, it's based on time and place more than on information. What I'm doing right now is teaching. This will give you the idea of how you're supposed to change, but it doesn't actually change you. It just simply sets a bar. What actually changes you is actually spending time in the right place. And that's what changes you. Your soil matters, than your infor- matters more than your information. Time and place grows into Christ-likeness. Um, I have a goal of spending 40, year, 40 days a year in solitude and silence, like on retreat. This year has been a total bust. I think so far it's been about 180 days in solitude and silence, I guess. But, um, but nonetheless, uh, I thought, hey, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. I thought maybe I can strive for it. I'm not sure. I think maybe only once in the last uh, 12 years have I actually hit 40 days. Most of the time I'm doing good to hit 30 So I'm not saying this to impress you. All I'm saying is I'm actually goofed up enough as a Christian that if I don't spend time in solitude and silence on retreat, like up at Conception Abbey or at Tall Oaks or something like that, then the monkeys in the banana tree even get worse for me. Some of you guys are total spiritual giants. You can just do this like 20 minutes a day. Like, cool, good for you. Not my vibe. For me, I've got to get away for a couple of nights or even longer. Some of you guys, you know what it's like. You just head out to Colorado and start hiking mountains, right? One foot in front of the other, huffing and puffing, and it all clears the mechanism, right? Some of you have to have your phone broke (laughs) before you actually begin to pay attention to what's like. Like, look, there's leaves on the trees. You know what I mean? Like, to get your head up from thumbing. Time and space. That's how we grow in the spirit. Just get out there with the maker and you. And just become a human being instead of a human doing. The fake tree is only interested in saying, I did it. I achieved it. Who's impressed? This one over here, it doesn't care who's impressed. It's deep in the soil. Slowly, quietly, coolly becoming a human being made in the image of God. That's the way the spiritual life works. I can tell it to you. You'll never know it until you try it. You know, here we are in this pandemic and we're all supposed to have all this time on our hands. Um, And it's fine. I think we're all trying to figure out how to actually, you know, make the most of it and enjoy ourselves. That's why you can't buy a bicycle or a, Paddleboard or a tennis racket or anything, they're all gone. You know, we're just trying to get outside and do something. Um, and that's good. That begins to get to the soil. Take a walk, take a run, sit, look at the leaves on the trees, whatever you need to do. Find something where you can just abide. You know what I mean? That's good. Lean into it. It ought to be a time of sowing, sowing the Spirit. That's what it ought to be, that we take advantage of it. So that 10 years from now, you'd sit around and say, you know, back in 2020, do you remember the pandemic? Oh, yeah. Remember that? Like, I really grew in my spiritual life during that time. I grew closer to God. And uh, that thing changed my life for the next 10 years. I learned something. Or are we going to sit around and say, like, man, that was such a drag. I hope that never happens again. Not that I'm wishing us to have another pandemic for spiritual reasons, but you know what I mean? Amen.